Joe Coleman is one of those people that uh, she's risen to a level in her career where her time is extremely valuable, where she has had to learn a lot of lessons about herself, where she has had countless partnerships and businesses and done articles and had experiences in her life, both personally and professionally, that's shaped who she is and she wouldn't trade it for the world. She has shown up in the podcasts of my friends. She's shown up on many other very high caliber podcasts. So if you want to know more about her, search her up on your favorite podcast platform to get more context as to what what her, her life has been like, what, what she can speak to, the experiences in which have made her more resilient and given her more grit. Something that really stood out to me about her was her recent article on eight ways to stand out with integrity in an industry that has little, because it's important to talk about that stuff. It's important to be transparent and to be real and to own up to your actions and to treat people like human beings, to actually care as to what you are offering others and care what the outcome of that person is. To not just take money, even though you're making a whole bunch of it, and to just be like, hey, is this actually working for the people? Or um, are they are they getting anything out of this? And it's something that she spoke to, and it's something where she walks the talk. And I'm proud to have her as a guest. Without further ado, here she is, Jill Coleman. Welcome to The Lifestyle Chase, Season 2. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. I'm your host, Chris Little. Let's get started. The Lifestyle Chase is brought to you by Yeg Fitness. Yeg Fitness is Edmonton, Alberta, Canada's healthy lifestyle community, creating and supporting active living for all. Check them out online at yegfitness.ca and on social media at Yeg Fitness. Welcome to episode 92 of the Lifestyle Chase. I am joined by the one and only Jill Coleman. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. No problem. And like, it's like, this is, it's a big deal that you're joining me on this podcast. I'm good friends with uh, Andrew Coates and Dean Guido, who just had you, I think, in November. And it's just, yep. uh, you're, you're a good influence in the industry. I really liked your article, Eight Ways to Stand Out with Integrity in an Industry That Has Little. And just yeah. right out of the gates, I want to know, like, what, what inspired you to write that article? Um, it's such a great question. Thanks so much for um, the kind words. I love that article. And it was kind of uh, at, a, at a place where I was um, enrolling for my business mastermind. And I was starting to notice I hadn't noticed before, but I was seeing it a lot more, especially in like the online kind of fitness business space, which is what I'm in. Um, I was just seeing a lot of smoke and mirrors, especially on social media. Obviously, it's so easy to completely filter your life and show the version of yourself that you want to and there's really no checks and balances system in um the online business space and so i think we're in the space now where like the body positivity movement was five or ten years ago where everyone was putting filtered photos and now if you scroll instagram you're seeing people you know with their cellulite and they're grabbing their roles and we're being a lot more transparent in the body acceptance space I don't see that kind of transparency when it comes to business. Um, and I, you know, I'm fortunate enough to 
have been in you know a lot of high level masterminds around people who are making a lot of money and have a ton of success and what i noticed were there's a lot of conversations that are happening in these groups of people making multiple seven figures that are not trickling down to the average person who wants to get started online. And to me, that feels like a huge disservice. Um, and obviously across the board in fitness, we see a lot of smoke and mirrors, side-by-side -side photos, you know, going back to the hydroxy cut days where, you know, someone just dehydrated and looked different and they claim it was like a 30 pound weight loss or whatever. So it's not that we, it hasn't been around. It's just for me, there were a lot of instances in a row that wanted that, you know, made me kind of want to talk about it at a, at a deeper level. Absolutely. And like, before we really dive into this episode, I kind of want you to give like your resume to my listeners. Like some of my listeners didn't know who you were, which is crazy, but they didn't. And then I showed the article and now they're following you. So like, give them some oh, backstory awesome. to your career, how it started out and all that stuff. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, so throughout my 20s, basically for a decade, I was a full-time personal trainer, uh, working about 70 to 80 hours a week as a full-time trainer. I was also running a university fitness center. Um, and I was lucky, I was one of those lucky people who just loved exercise, um, you know, don't have a huge transformation, but I got into extreme fitness. And so what I mean by that is I got up on stage, I was doing a lot of figure competitions, a lot of fitness modeling. And what I call, you know, would consider, at, you know, now looking back more ego type pursuits, which was fine. But what I noticed was it was all about me and it was all about, do I look the part and do I have the six pack and, you know, who's looking at me and am I getting tear sheets and who knows me? And, you know, I think that's part of growing up, I, you know, I don't regret it, but at the time it was, it, it made me feel fairly miserable. And so I was there helping people in the gym and I was giving them meal plans to follow, but I couldn't follow them myself. Um, and so around the age of 29 and 2010, I ended up um, starting Jill Fit as a blog, so jillfit.com. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna make this about other people. Even though I was doing that in the gym, I was like, I really want to take what's in my head and put it online so people can use it. And this is kind of back in the golden age of blogging. Um, I quit doing competitions. And in order to build my online business, I was like, okay, Jill, you have to figure out a way to open up your schedule for more time to create online. You know, I was doing split shifts. I was working literally, uh, you know, my first client was at 5 a.m. I was getting home at eight or nine o'clock at night. And so I was like, I can't build this online business if I keep doing this. And so I read the four hour work week um, and I started making small changes to my schedule. And starting the blog, you know, I was starting to do online coaching at the time. And um, I had to get over myself in terms of like my body esteem stuff and, you know, all the kind of myopia of wanting to look a certain way and get up on stage and get those accolades. And so at that time, I created a nutrition philosophy called Moderation 365, which helps people kind of get off the yo-yo dieting train and really try and figure out a way that they can eat healthy forever. Um, so that was born out of that because I just needed to have more time and energy to spend on my business. Um, and so a couple of years later, I ended up People were asking me, how are you building your business? How are you getting a readership online? How are you know you getting clients at this point? Jill Fit, the online business, was a six-figure business. We were doing all kind of online one-on-one -on -one coaching. It was great. I had five coaches that worked for me. And so people were asking me, and I was like, well, I don't know everything, but I can at least share what I've done. And so in 2012, I launched my very first business course for health and fitness professionals. Um, and that program became very successful over the last few years. And going back to the integrity conversation, one of the things that happened recently, at least a year ago, 
was this course called Best of You um, was a cash cow. Like it had grown to the point where we were doing, you know, multiple six figure launches and it was great and we were helping a lot of people. But what happened was I kept, I kept pulling back. I kept, you know, pulling back access to me. Obviously my time was more valuable. And so the course became more of a DIY course where they didn't really get coaching with me. And what I noticed was people weren't doing it. They weren't actually doing the courses. They weren't watching the tutorials. They weren't implementing. We had about a 10 to 15% success rate. And when I saw that, I was horrified, absolutely horrified. And this was really hard. And this was a huge pivot in my business that like the last time we launched it, we made $400,000. And I was like, I, I'm doing a disservice. People aren't implementing this. This is terrible. So I literally retired the program and created a whole other program that was way more um, easy to digest, implementable, coaching with me. And we took a huge pay cut, but I needed to know that people were actually getting my results with my methods. And if they weren't, then what was I doing? And so going back to the integrity conversation, that was a really huge pivot for me about a year ago. Um, and since then, things have been awesome. My clients are at 85% adherence rate. Um, getting way better results, which obviously reflects on me. And that's important for the reputation of my business and for the longevity of the business. Um, so now I do probably two thirds business coaching for health professionals. And maybe another third is just direct to consumer fitness and nutrition digital courses. That That is nuts. It's just like, because I've been exposed to all kinds of business coaches. Like they go through my, my Facebook stream. I've met them personally. I've had conversations with people who are like local to Edmonton who got like somebody slid in their DMs and offered them 600 bucks to come on their podcast. Like it gets really greasy, but I kind of, I want to know with your, with your experience in the start of, of your fitness career, like what did the word integrity mean for you then? Like when you were doing like, when you were more face to face and less on the online space? You know, it didn't mean much and that's embarrassing to admit. I think most people do not have a relationship to integrity or to honesty. Um, and I think if you ask most people, are you honest? Do you tell the truth? They're like, of course I tell the truth. But you know, when you look at it and I, I started noticing this, I actually read a book called Lying by Sam Harris. And I went through like some personal struggles in my own marriage and came out on the other side being like, okay, if I don't, especially in business and in relationships, if I don't have my truth and I don't have my integrity, then what do I actually have? And so I had this kind of come to Jesus moment of like, okay, I say, um, you know, I tell the truth, but I was doing small stuff like um, early in my business before I had enough money to hire a, an assistant. Um, I was responding back to people on email as a fake assistant. And it made sense at the time, like, okay, let me just put some distance between me. So I'm not doing free coaching. Right. So it felt more official, but that's, that's, that's not true. And I know that that's a normal practice. I see that all the time in people. And so to me, you know, it's looking back on that and being, I understand why I was doing it, but it's embarrassing to know that that wasn't true. Other examples, um, not me personally, but we've seen a lot of people kind of like rent designer bags and shoes for photo shoots and then pawn it off like it's theirs to look as if they're living the lifestyle um, that they're trying to sell to their clients when meanwhile they're not doing that. And so there's a lot of those kind of things that are not cut and dry. So, you know, as embarrassing as it is to say, I did not have a relationship to honesty or integrity, um, but over time, I saw that if I didn't have that, then I didn't have anything. There's no kind of um, anchor if you don't have that, right? Like, how do you make decisions if you're not just dedicated to radical honesty? And when I say radical honesty, I don't mean like bomb dropping honesty. You know what I mean? I'm not like going to tell someone like they suck because it's like, like, that's not the truth. That's maybe my truth, but that's not, um, 
that's not useful either, right? So when I say tell the truth, I mean, be as honest as I possibly can with my process and then let the chips fall. When people are seeing that, reading that, whatever, I just refuse to, I can't, I literally can't live with myself. Even if I tell a white lie, I'll go back and be like, actually, uh, I know I said that, but what I meant was actually this. I can't, I literally get a visceral feeling inside. And so I don't know if I hadn't gone through what I went through in my marriage that I would have had that same relationship. But if any, I mean, honestly, if anyone is interested in this, uh, the book Lying is so great. You can listen to it on audio. It's like an hour long um, and it completely changed my life. It's funny because I was just, I was crashing through some of the podcast appearances that you've had on other people's shows and you talked about that book and I wrote it down on like a list. Like whenever I hear somebody like drop like a book or whatever, like I don't need to know like the context because like I, I trust the person. I'm like, yeah, there's got to be a reason if, if I absorb this content, I got to be able to get something out of it. So, so I'm glad you mentioned it again. Um, recently you had your your master class it was the anatomy of a launch and like yeah. i was following you and i was like well she's given this for free why wouldn't i follow this <laughs> so like yeah. i was training a client during like the live thing but then i was able to access it like later on and i i wouldn't necessarily be your average clientele like you're working with a lot of females i've heard you talk to andrew and dean about how like your services are open to like male trainers as well and stuff like that. But it's just like, it was free. You put it out there and I had so much that I could get from it and I could like transfer it onto things that were completely unrelated. Like I'm not building like an online business, but I'm a podcast host. And with that comes yep. launches and stuff. And it's just like, what are your thoughts on people that don't take advantage of these opportunities for like quality growth for free? Yeah, you know, um, so one of my mentors is, or two of my mentors are Alan and Rachel Cosgrove, who are complete just legends in the business. And if you guys are not following them, make sure you are. Um, and I remember Alan telling me years ago, he was like, you know, a book is $15. If you can pull a $16 idea out of a $15 book, then it's worth it. And that was a huge mindset shift for me to see that, you know, I really, um, find a lot of solace in knowing that anything that I want to know is a book, a course, or a coach away. You know, that like anything I need to learn, and to me that feels really liberating. Like, okay, like I can literally learn anything I need to learn. And so I don't have to get really emotional. I work with a lot of coaches and sometimes um, if they run up against a roadblock or they have a barrier and they're trying to build their business or they're launching or whatever, and you know this, like if you've done launches, then things don't always go perfectly. You have a certain expectation, things mess up. Like I've never had a completely seamless launch. Um, but I have learned over time to be a, more objective with it and see that like this is just a a problem to be solved. This is a marketing issue. This isn't a you issue. And so when I look at like free opportunities, opportunities to educate myself, uh, to me, there's a lot of um, just freedom in knowing that something not going right, or if I'm missing a piece of information that I can get it so easily and so cheaply. Um, and, you know, I try not to judge people who are like, you know, I don't want to learn that or I'm not interested in that or whatever. That's totally fine. I think sometimes it ebbs and flows. I do believe that sometimes we have to not be in consumption mode and we have to be in action mode. Um, and so if you're constantly watching webinars and you're constantly and obviously like I do this for a living, so I want you to be on my webinar. But if you're constantly watching webinars and reading books and listening to podcasts and scrolling on the feed and seeing everyone else's stuff, 
but it's making you feel on some level either not good enough or overwhelmed or like everything's being said already, that's going to be a huge roadblock to you taking action. So sometimes you do have to kind of put your blinders on, not consume a bunch of stuff and just do the stuff that you've already learned. And so I, I tell my girls to have those kind of ebbs and flows. You might be in like, you know, this kind of cocoon mode where you're absorbing everything and learning stuff and being creative. And then on the other side, at some point there's, there's, there's a need to execute. You have to be like, okay, I know enough. I have enough certifications. I have enough qualifications. I've read enough things. Um, so while my value system is always be learning, I think at some point it's okay to kind of turn off the learning mode and just go right into teaching mode or go into sharing mode or go into action mode. I love it. So I'm going to do a segue here. Uh, the audience of the Lifestyle Chase, there's definitely a lot of female listeners, definitely a lot of people who are either fitness enthusiasts or possibly they're looking to become trainers. But with that, there's a divide. There's a distinct divide between female and male and that male can get like, we don't have to like prove ourselves as much. Like I, I can admit to that. I sit in a place of privilege by being a dude in the fitness industry. Um, in your like vast experience that you've got, you've got uh, magazine articles, you've got online launches, you've like done partnerships with all kinds of like high, high caliber groups where has been a time that you felt the most struggle by just being a female in the industry? Um, you know, I mean, and I really have not experienced that to be honest. Um, one thing that I can tell you is that there are not a lot of female business coaches for fitness professionals. I can see that very clearly. So it's interesting. I go to a lot of conferences, I speak at a lot of conferences and what I notice is there's a lot more female attendees and then there's a lot more male um, presenters. And to me, that is a little bit one-sided. Um, I'm definitely a feminist for sure. But at, this, at the end of the day, I don't, I feel personally that I don't have to constantly talk about being a feminist. I just try to embody what that might look like. And so for me, and, and I also come from a place of privilege, like I'm a white person. I, you know, I, I grew up in like a fairly affluent family. I went to college, like I have a degree, like, so I have never really experienced, I, I would say real uh, discrimination because of my gender. Um, so I don't, I can't like speak to that, but I know there are a lot of women who have. Um, but at the end of the day, I try to embody what someone who feels like they're in their power would do. Um, so I don't assume that I can do less because I'm a woman. I just act as if I'm just as powerful as a man. And I know that, you know, if you're listening to this and you are a woman and you've had real hardship as a result of that, or you've been through trauma or whatever, like that's one of the hard things is I have not experienced any of that. Um, and if you've experienced that, then sometimes the belief system is I can't do it because I'm a woman. I've never really had that. Um, and I've been lucky to surround myself by mentors who have, always believed in me. Even, you know, my ex-husband, who's also in the industry, um, always believed in me from day one, even when I didn't believe myself. So if you're someone who feels like you are at a disadvantage or because, or you feel like you can't do it, or you have some self-limiting beliefs, I would encourage you to get a mentor who can give you the confidence and the permission when you can't give yourself the confidence and permission. I've had mentors for the last seven years, um, and some, and you know, and pay, that I mean by paid mentors, I've had certainly had other mentors in my life, but I've always hired mentors. I'm like, you know what, who, and that's the reason why I hired Rachel Cosgrove, because 
when I met her, I went to a one day seminar with her and Alan and she just walked in and just, she fucking just owned the room. Like she just literally had this presence about her that was so confident and it was so uh, reassuring. And it was so, she had like a level of competency that I hadn't really seen in our industry because I had been doing a lot of fitness modeling. And if you know anything about like, you know, fitness modeling competition prep, a lot of us don't have that much self-esteem. And I, I mean, and not everyone, but in, in general, I know that I did not have a lot of self-esteem when I was doing that. I was really insecure. I was really kind of a victim, um, you know, would get really upset if I didn't win. I mean, stuff like that, it's embarrassing to admit. And I saw someone who was just so in her power that I was like, that's who I need to coach with. That's the person that I want to become. And she's five years ahead of me. How can I get there? So on The Best Life, which is my podcast, we did a whole episode on how to find a great mentor. So I would recommend if someone is feeling that way to search out someone who has the energy and is living the lifestyle that you want and have a conversation with them. You know, like we said, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors on social media. So if you're following someone and you're like, they have the best life, like you need to have a conversation with them. I think you and I probably both know that sometimes you meet someone in person who you met online and you're like, this person is not at all what I thought they were. So if your mentor is the right fit, they're going to want to have a conversation with you. They're going to you know, tell you exactly what they, you can expect from them. Uh, they're going to tell you what that you can see that they you see in them, right? Like, and so I would recommend if you're feeling that way, to get someone who can show you the path to success or the path to what it looks like to be a powerful woman. I love it, and I absolutely agree. It's just like I, I have so many mentors in my life, and there's some where it's like I'll buy their book or I'll pay to go to their seminar. Like I can't necessarily pay for like the thousand dollars a month that some some people are just right. expensive, but it's just like. Wherever I can support that person back, I do. And it's just like Dean Guido, Andrew Coates, they've been mentors to me. So I talk about them often because like they, they deserve that. They've helped me out in my career. And like one of my friends, Dr. Farah Sharif, she was actually thinking about writing an article on integrity in the industry. And then I saw yours and I sent it to her and she was like, holy cow, she nailed it. So I figured I should <laughs> give, her, give her a shout out so that she... Uh, she knows I was thinking about her, but it's just like mentorship is so powerful. But yeah, like they're with social media, you have to dig through what's the fake and what's the real. If you were to interview a future mentor for yourself, what would be three questions to dig through the bullshit that you would ask that person? Such a great question. So I think that it's really important to, um, and I've had mentors and I've paid to be in masterminds and and I've made some not great decisions. I've made decisions based on, okay, this person has the success that I want, right? And I think, or they're making the money that I want, right? And so I found myself sometimes in groups where I don't feel like I fit in because we have different personality types. So I think number one is get a beat on, like, do you feel like you could hang out with this person for an entire weekend? Because that's oftentimes what it's gonna be. You're gonna be on a mastermind weekend and you're gonna be, and also if the person is running some sort of mentorship, they're gonna attract other people like them. So understand that, you know, could I get along with this person? Could we go out for a drink? Could we go out for coffee? Could I spend the entire weekend with them? That's the first question is, do we have a similar enough personality? Because we're going to be spending a lot of time together. So don't just look at the shiny stuff. I would recommend looking at like, okay, number one is, do I get along with this person? Number one, most important thing. Second is, are they living the lifestyle that I, that I aspire to? You know, are they five years ahead? Are they 10 years ahead? Have they done some of the things? And that's why one of the other reasons why I hired Rachel was at that time, 
I was looking to hire a mentor or a coach and I was looking around the fitness modeling kind of competition space. And, you know, there was like Jamie Eason and, you know, a lot of these people who were on covers of magazines and they were doing, you know, had big sponsorship deals with supplement companies. And I was like, you know, I don't know that I want to do that. I don't want to do that anymore. And so I looked to Rachel, who already had a couple of books published. She had a column in Women's Health. She was running a successful business with her husband. And I was like, that's that's what I want to create. That's more what I can see myself doing. And so decide, okay, is this person living the lifestyle? And the other thing is, the last thing is, when you're hiring a mentor, you need to ask them like what they potentially see in you, right? It needs to be a fit. So I think it's valid to ask, what kinds of results have you gotten for other people? I think that's valid. I think asking, you know, what sort of other people have you mentored? I'd like to go and check out those people to see if we might be similar. Um, you know, what do you see in me? I know that feels a little self-indulgent to ask, but a good mentor should be able to show you case studies, show you, you know, give you references, um, you know, tell you people to go and ask about working with them. They shouldn't want to hide any of that stuff. So I would say definitely the last thing is ask them, you know, for references and also ask them what they can potentially see in you. Because remember, this person is going to give you the borrowed confidence and the permission that you need. So they have to have a vision for what they see that you can accomplish as well. I love it. So I was doing some reading and it looked like your first like job in a gym was age 15. Did I get that right? Yeah. So if you were to sit across from 15 year old self and give her some advice, what would that advice be like to kind of give her a step up in life? Yeah, such a great question. Um, you know, I don't have any regrets about kind of the different things that I've chosen to do. I certainly look back sometimes with embarrassment, but I know that I learned so much from doing the different things. I've literally done everything you can possibly do in, in the gym business and the fitness industry. Um, I think that I would probably tell her to say yes more and earlier. Um, so say yes to opportunities, put yourself in situations that feel uncomfortable. You know, I don't really feel like I, as silly as it sounds and as much as I kind of, you know, talk shit a little bit about com competing because my experience with, with it was, it was fine, but it was um, just so self-indulgent and it really just highlighted my insecurities. Um, but the first time I got up on stage, I felt a sense of self-efficacy that I had never felt before. Um, like, wow, I really can do anything. Like this is the hardest I've ever worked in my entire life. I had to sacrifice, I had to do. So I think looking back, I would put myself in uncomfortable situations sooner. Um, and it wasn't until I was about 24, 25 that I started doing that. And so I think I'd probably start younger and see getting out of my comfort zone as more of a value system and see it as um, having utility. Whereas before, I think most of us, you know, we grow up, we just kind of default, we do the, the default things. Uh, and so having someone can, who can say to you, it's going to help you be more successful or create more or have more experiences or be more resilient if you can put yourself in those uncomfortable situations sooner by saying yes to opportunities. So what moments in your life, because you, you have a bounce back factor, you've gotten through a lot of things in your life, both professionally and personally, what, what kind of things have, have helped you had that? What kind of people have you met that have helped you aside from like the mentors that we've discussed? Uh, what kind of lessons have you learned that you've implemented into your life to give you that bounce back factor? Gosh. Yeah, I would say, especially if you are building an online business, like one of the top three 
I would say, virtues that you can have is resiliency for sure. Um, because so much of our journey, whether it's personal or professional, um, is it's so personal, right? So if you're starting an online business or you're a personal trainer, we take our clients' results so personally. We take um, how much money we're making so personally. We, we take um, the success of our launch so personally because it's our baby. It's like, it's basically just an extension of our, it's our brainchild. Um, and so not everything is always going to go to plan. And I think the faster that you can uh, detach from the outcomes. So I always say, don't take it personally, but take it seriously. And so anything that I'm doing, I'm going to give it my all and I'm going to do the absolute best that I can and know that I left no stone unturned, but then I'm going to detach from outcomes because I know that I can't control that. So anytime I go into a launch, I give myself a mental pep talk and, or I'm doing anything that's scary, right? So I'll give myself a mental pep talk and be like, okay, you can never guarantee the outcome. I can never guarantee it. And that's one of the biggest barriers I would say to a lot of people getting started is they want to know, Jill, what's going to happen? Like, I don't know. We'll know what, what happens after you do the thing, right? Or what's going to look like in a year? We'll know what it's going to look like in a year, a year from now. Um, and so for me, I think putting myself in those uncomfortable situations where I can't predict the outcome. And I think that goes back to a lot of us, you know, we, we have controlling tendencies. We like to know, we, we really love certainty. Um, at the end of the day, there's so many things out of our control. And so, but the thing you can always guarantee is your effort. And you can always guarantee the attitude that you choose or the perspective that you choose to see things. So when my launch, you know, say I want to sell a hundred units and I sell, you know, I don't know, 60, I'm like, okay, I go back and I try and get clinical with it. I try not to take that personally and I don't see it as a failure. I see it as just like feedback. Okay, cool. What could I have done differently? I gave it my all so I can't be upset. What can I do? How can I pivot? How can I get better? How can I get make this clinical so I'm not used getting so emotionally overwhelmed by it that I can't see straight? Um, and so when it comes to resiliency, I would definitely say putting yourself in those uncomfortable situations. And you had mentioned uh, personally, one of the things that I did uh, personally to kind of build my resiliency was when my marriage was kind of going sideways um, towards the end of my marriage. Um, I was like, you know what? This thing over here is not solid like I thought it was. Um, and so I have to figure out a way to batten down the hatches and, and be alone or be able to be on my own if that's what it's going to be. And so I consciously started traveling by myself and that was really scary. I went to um, Italy for a few weeks. I didn't speak the language. I went by myself and I was just like, I'm going to figure it out. And I remember being so scared the whole time and being, uh, everything was awkward. People were talking to me in like really fast Italian. And I was like, I don't know what you're saying. And like, I don't know what to do. Um, but I remember I was coming back from Rome and I had a layover at JFK and I was talking to my dad on the phone after having been in Italy for three weeks by myself. And I was like, I have never felt more um, just like alive than I do right now. I did it. Like it wasn't pretty. It was awkward every second, but I'm so proud of myself for doing that. And then I went on to live in Sydney, Australia for a month by myself. And I wanted to come back. I was like, I hate this. I, I don't know anyone. But by the end of the month, I had met people. I had, you know, formed a life there. And so that was one thing that, and maybe you don't have to like, you know, travel across the globe, but maybe you go out to dinner by yourself, put yourself in situations that are uncomfortable to realize at the end of it. Wow. Like, I can't believe I did that. And I know that some 
a lot of people maybe are listening like I go out to dinner all by, by myself all the time I had never done that I had been single since I was 18 so I didn't know what it was like to do things like that that were kind of scary so I think putting yourself in situations I call them vulnerability PRs like putting yourself in situations that do feel super vulnerable and then watching yourself do it and then coming around and being like wow I can't believe that I managed that and I survived it. What if I could do more? I wonder if I could do this thing. And so I think that's how you build your resiliency. It's certainly how you build your um, sense of self-trust as well. Um, in terms of like mentorship and stuff like that, not really in that realm. I would say the biggest thing is just taking uncomfortable action. Yeah, well, I, I love that you talked about traveling and going to restaurants by yourself. Like that's something that I talk about often. Like. I made a reference to like vision quests. That's kind of what I call them. You go for a drive by yourself and you just kind of think you have no direction. You have no expectation. You just go and you think and you sit with your thoughts. Um, what What is something that you learned about in your travels, like about yourself, like something that you can identify that you know more about yourself now than what you did before you went? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing was um, really just overcoming a sense of loneliness. Um, I, I would say that's probably the biggest one is being okay, being alone. I'm definitely an introvert. I've always been one, but, um, but I remember towards the end of my marriage, my husband said to me, you know, you just can't be alone. And I was like, what are you talking about? Of course I can. Cause I'm a strong independent woman. Right. And I'm like, of course I can. And then when I started traveling alone, I was like, wow, maybe I can't be alone. And when I ended up leaving the marriage, I moved to Los Angeles, moved across country. And the first year I was in LA, I didn't know anybody. Um, and I remember just feeling really lonely at times and it was really uncomfortable. And I think the value of that was over time, it became okay. It didn't mean anything. It didn't mean I wasn't wanted. It didn't mean I was rejected. It doesn't, didn't mean I was a loser. It was just literally like I sat in the discomfort of feeling lonely and over time that dissipated and I became really comfortable being by myself. And I think that that was um, hugely pivotal, especially now getting into a new relationship and going, okay, like I, I want this relationship, but I don't need it. And that was a huge distinction. And so I would say that that's probably the biggest thing. Have you find, found that you've been able to apply that with like uh, different businesses that you run or different brands that you're associated with being separate from like the business? You mean in terms of being well, able to... If, if somebody puts their heart into a business or like say say they're like a group fitness instructor and they put their heart into what they're doing there and then they find that that thing just owns them, like what advice would you have yeah. for them with creating that disconnect? Yeah, it's so good, especially as personal trainers. Um, oftentimes what I find is that we get into personal training because we want to help people and over time the job ends up owning us um, when I was personal training 70 hours a week, I was in scarcity all the time. I felt like my clients were going to leave me all the time. I felt like the gym owner was going to you know, fire me or the gym was going to close. Or, um, I felt like, you know, my clients wouldn't pay anymore. So I'd take the bare minimum dollar. Um, and so I think, you know, moving from more of a, and this is really tough for me and I'll give you guys this one insight. This is kind of what helped me detach from the feeling of scarcity and like, oh my God, this thing might not be here anymore. My clients might leave me and I might be broke and end up on the street and whatever, where we catastrophize. Um, biggest thing I did was after listening to the four hour work week, I had this aha moment. I was driving across town on a Friday night 
at eight o'clock at night for one client to train one client for $15. And I remember being like, how, what am I doing right now? Like I was driving and I had this moment of like, how did I get here? How is this my life right now? Why am I a slave to this job? And it was because I had allowed myself to not have any boundaries and not have any say in my schedule and take any money anyone would throw at me because I was operating in scarcity. And at that point, it didn't happen overnight, but over time I started making small changes to my schedule. So instead of having these like 15 or 30 minute like time chunks between back-to-back sessions, I pulled my part and I ended up losing about 10% of my clientele. Um, but at the end of the day, I was making more money, had less clients, and I'd also position myself as the top trainer in town. And that was so scary, but it wasn't even about the money. It was an energetic move that I had to do to really start valuing my time. And also, if I really wanted, did want to build an online business, I had to figure this out. And so moving to group sessions, moving to 30-minute sessions, making all my clients go back to back, and then doubling my prices and letting the chips fall, that was really tough. But it ended up panning out, and it took about two years to make all of those changes um, but at the end of the day, I ended up having a schedule that worked for me. I had big chunks of time in my schedule to work on my online business. Um, I was getting paid what I was worth. At that time, I looked up and I was like, I've been a personal trainer for 10 years. I'm the best trainer in this town. Why am I not? Why am I still? A lot of people say, well, you know, most clients will only pay this much. And I was like, good, I get it. But I'm going to double it because not everyone wants the cheapest trainer. I was in a small town in North Carolina. And I was like, why not? It's the one thing I can do to separate myself. I know I'm a great trainer. I have great retention of my clients. My clients get results. I'm just going to declare it. I'm $100 an hour. And like at that time in a small town, North Carolina, that was about double what people were charging. And so um, I positioned myself as the most in-demand trainer. And if a client came to me and was like, hey, I would like to train at this time, but I didn't have that time available or I didn't want to train at that time, I would say, I would have that time available, but let me know if anything changes in your schedule. And making those small energetic changes to have boundaries completely changed everything in the business. And so I would say if you are really attached and you're feeling in scarcity all the time, you're going to have to jump before the net appears and you're going to have to trust yourself to figure it out. And that's that's essentially what I did. That's that's funny because like you've illustrated or outlined so many things that were on my list of things that I wanted to talk to you about it. Like talking to you about boundaries was a big thing because like I think it's something that people need to to set to be long-term sustainable in like life in any business that they're in and then that whole the quote of like uh jump and the net will appear like I experienced that on a very personal level that was my whole like jump into the fitness industry so I can speak to that but like what what are like your top three moments where you've jumped and then the net appeared for yourself yeah different ones for sure um there are moments there have been moments where i had to make or i did make decisions that i knew other people wouldn't like or they'd be disappointed in me um or it maybe meant the end of the relationship and i hated doing it but every time i've done it i've elevated to another level and so i think a lot of us um go through life and we placate and we please and we just agree to be agreeable. And it's not that you can't be kind. You don't have to be mean about it. But at the end of the day, it's your life. And so one of the the first things was when I went and got my degree in exercise science and I was in fitness full time and I loved it and I was really good at it. 
And my parents wanted me to go on to get uh, a degree in physical therapy. And they were like, okay, so, you know, we're going to, you know, you're going to go back to grad school. And because that was more of a, you know, I guess a more prestigious title, doctor of physical therapy versus personal trainer and fitness competitor. And um, so I went along with it for a while. Okay, yeah, that's what you do. And, you know, I can take the GRE and do all the stuff. And, um, and I remember it came time, there's a deadline to apply to school, and I just didn't apply. And I, my parents were calling me, and I was dodging them and not answering and stuff. And then finally, I ended up going to see them. And we had this conversation, and they were like, so how are the applications? And I was like, ooh, I actually didn't apply. And I'm going to stay in fitness. And also I'm doing a figure competition. Oh, you don't know what that is? It's where you get this really weird tan on and wear a bikini up on stage and like do a weird flex. Like they didn't get it. They thought I was on steroids. Like, but I remember it was a pivotal moment where I chose my passion over going with what I was expected to do. And I think if you're listening to this, you probably have people in your life who have expectations for you and ripping the bandaid off was extremely important and it was terrifying. I didn't let my parents down. I wanted them to be proud of me. Um, but what happened was I just started coming with the confidence in my own choice. Um, and that even if I didn't feel it 100%, I was like, well, I'm really excited about the show I'm doing. You know, I, I have a lot of people who really support me, blah, blah. My mom ended up sending me a card and saying, should I come to your show? It was like, I would absolutely love it if you came. And over time, it was the moment at which I decided I didn't need the support that I started getting it. Um, and so I think owning your choices really is important. So I'd say that's probably the first moment. Second moment was I was in a partnership uh, early in my career, probably this is maybe 2007, 2008. I was in a partnership. We were doing a physical product. It was one of my clients and she was going to provide the capital and I was going to provide the, um, you know, the knowledge or whatever the content. So, um, we did this and I could tell like maybe six months into it, I just wasn't really feeling it. It's right when Jill Fit was getting started and she was constantly hounding me about doing this and doing that. And it wasn't her fault. It just, I made a bad call to be in a business partnership that I didn't realize what exactly we were doing and how much investment she was making. So she ended up investing about a hundred grand into this. And I got to this point where I was like, I can't do this. Like, I can't do this. And I don't know what to do because you've already put in so much money but like, this is not my passion. And I had to have the really hard conversation of like, I'm out and I'm sorry, but I literally can't do this. I'm operating from a place of guilt and shame all the time, trying to make you happy. And that's not a place to build a business from. So I would say that was definitely a critical conversation that I had to have. And so now, anytime I think about partnerships, people ask me all the time, should I do a partnership or should I, you know, collaborate with this person? It always comes down to, do you have the same value system? Do you have the same passion? Like, you can't have you can't operate from like one person doing all the work or having all the passion because it was her her brainchild, um, and so I'm very clear about my own personal desires around partnerships and things like that. And I didn't have the wherewithal at the time. Um, I would say lastly is probably the example that I already gave about the online business and kind of retiring a program that was pretty much a cash cow and having to pivot to be in my integrity. Um, there've been a lot of moments in my online business where I've run up against things that don't feel right to me when I've had to pivot and it's been really scary. But I think the more we have these uncomfortable conversations and we go through these things and we don't just sweep them under the rug and be like, Oh, we figured out later. And like, I don't like, I won't let resentment build. Like if I'm starting to feel resentful, like I got to figure that out. That's on me. And so I refuse to, when it comes down to boundaries, I refuse to, um, just go with, 
whatever like is the choice that will keep people happy. And that's hard, but I think in my experience, people respect people with boundaries and they respect the honest communication, maybe not in the moment, but they'll come back later and say, you know, I really appreciate the fact that you were honest with me. And that's what that partner did as well. And so it's, I always look at honest conversation, clear communication as like ripping a bandaid off. It feels so scary. It feels almost impossible to do. But when you do it on the other side of it is this like just ease and freedom and liberation and alignment that you couldn't have unless you had that tough conversation. So I think it's a quote by Tim Ferriss where he says, you can measure the success of your life, which how many, with how many uncomfortable conversations you're willing to have. And I truly believe that that's true. That's awesome. Like that, that's just something that's come up often, just being able to like understand where your boundaries is. And that quote, I've been seeing it in my Instagram story feed tons of times, people sharing it, people experiencing moments where they feel that. So they'll have lots to take away from that. Um, in your fitness career, because like, like how long has it been? Like a decade, two decades? Like it's been a long career. It was been a long career. Actually, it was funny. I was just uh, speaking at Jason Patrick's, I'm sorry, not J- Jason Patrick, Jason Phillips um, event uh, called Impact Collective last month. And the person who was, uh, who was introducing me was like, she's in her third decade in the fitness industry. And I was like, wow, I am getting old. Like I'm actually at that place where people are kind of calling me an OG. And it's, it's funny when that starts to happen. I mean, I'm proud of it. I've done everything there is to do in the fitness industry. I've been around for a long time. It doesn't feel that way. Um, but you know, the online business is, you know, almost 10 years old. Um, and it's seen a lot of ups and downs. And so I've gleaned a lot of lessons, um, that I'm now passing on to my own clients and my own mentees. Um, yeah. And I mean, to me, it is a journey. I mean, I don't feel a lot of urgency about it only because I'm like, I do this for the rest of my life. So there's plenty of time to do everything. And having said that, has there been a moment when you just absolutely wanted to quit and like you almost did? No, there wasn't, unfortunately. Like I wish there, there was. Um, you know, one of the things that I did early on, especially in the online business, because it wasn't always, we were making decent money, but when I quit my full-time job, when I quit personal training, um, it wasn't like guaranteed. I had been doing Jill Fit for about 18 months and I quit my full-time job because I just could not handle it anymore. And it wasn't exactly like I was going to be making the same amount of money in my online business that I was in personal training. Right. So, um, I remember early on, I would have this thought that always gave me a lot of comfort. And that was, I can always go and get a regular job. Like if I, if this online business doesn't work out, if I need a supplement, like I was like, Oh, go and work at Starbucks. I'm like, they have, benefits they get to have free coffee all day i'm like what's so bad about that and it it was the the idea that i could always go and get a regular job at like whole foods or starbucks or something like that that gave me a lot of comfort to know that like and i just know myself i'd still like save up money and try again like i just know that about myself and so there hasn't been any time at this point i don't you know i joke with my friends like i don't even know if i could like put a resume together like what job could i even get if i had to um but I think there are definitely times where you get tired. I will say that there's not, um, there's times where you get totally create creatively drought. Like you have a creative rut. Um, that was really scary. The first time that happens to me, obviously the way I make money is my brain. Um, so I remember just having a period of time where I was like, I have no thoughts in my brain. I don't know like what to talk about on social media. I don't have any ideas. I'm completely tapped out. And that was really scary. Um, and it was transient. 
And what I did was I just went into cocoon mode. I just went into consumption mode. I just, you know, exposed myself to other disciplines. I started reading books on psychology, spirituality, business, you know, finance, like anything that I could that would be more of a lateral discipline to get me out of the rut. And I just, you know, I did the best I could with content. Um, And since then, I've had several, but I I know what it is now, so I don't get as freaked out. But I I would say I don't have any moments where I want to quit. I have moments where I get tired. I get mentally drained. You know, I need to take some R&R, but I would say I, I can't see myself doing anything else. And you spoke to that question really well and gave a lot of people enlightenment on what they could do or that it could re- require like pivots and shifts. I have a quote that one of my friends, for context, he, he owns a bunch of restaurants. So you would think that he has it all together. But he said something to me yesterday and it was like, the higher you rise, the lonelier you get. Is that something that you experience in your career being that it's like you're seasoned in this, in this industry and you've rose very, very high. Um, you know, I think there's a couple of things. Number one, because I am an introvert, like I don't like people like for like a lot of people can't work from home. Like they're just like, they hate it. They get lonely. They don't like, for me, I love it. I love working at home. I love being alone. Like, so to me, that's never been an issue. Um, but one thing that I can say is, especially as a coach, whether you're a personal trainer, whether you are uh, an online coach, own an online business, using social media for your business, you have clients that you talk to regularly, um, you can get drained because you're always in coaching mode. I would say that that's one thing that does happen sometimes is you want to be like, who's coaching me, right? Like sometimes you just want to be like, I want someone else to tell me I'm doing a good job. Whereas like, you know, I get DMs constantly on social media and it's people who want my attention and it's great. And that's how I make money. People are tagging me and stuff. They're like, this happened and thank you for this and whatever. But I'm constantly putting out, you're amazing. You got it. Go girl. Like I'm constantly cheering them on. That's my job. But like, sometimes I'm like, I need inputs too. And so when I need that, I hire a coach. Or I go to my, you know, my support system, my best friends, my social MVPs, like, you know, I go to my boyfriend, I go to my best friend, I go to my podcast host, I go to my bro- my family, like, I go and I just I can be normal with them, I don't have to be in coaching mode. And so I would say that that's probably the biggest thing. And, you know, again, seeking out mentors, seeking out coaches, who can fill you up. So if you start to feel drained, I would say that that's probably the biggest thing for me is I'm always in I'm even when I like meet someone on the street, you know, we're talking about something. If people learn that I do an online business, like I have an idea and I'm like, okay, here we go. So I'm always defaulting to coaching mode, which is fine, but I need to figure out a way to build back my reserve. So I never feel lonely. I just sometimes feel uh, tapped energetically and I have the tools that I use to go and, and fill back up. Absolutely. And it's just like the value of uh, connection and communication is so, so important. And if people don't have it, they need to find it. So I think it is. Yeah, I mean, and, and find people who you can just be yourself with. And I know it sounds so cliche, but, you know, I know if I'm talking to my brother, who's one of my best friends, or I'm talking to Danny J, who's also my best friend, or my boyfriend, like, I can be myself. I can say the, the base level things that I sometimes don't say on the internet, right? I can be like, hey, I'm going to just be a victim for like the next five minutes. Can you like sit with me and just agree with me? Right? So sometimes we just want that. And so I would say, you know, finding people who you can feel safe with and who you can trust to be sometimes at your most base level and you know they're not going to judge you and they know that that's that's just a moment in time that you're needing that support but that's not who you are in the world you know not going to hold it against you and so in the best life which is our podcast 
we have a lot of people who write in and they're like, I don't feel like I have anyone to go to. I feel judged by everyone. I feel um, like no one really understands. Um, you know, I feel like I'm, again, I'm being judged all the time and I hate that. And so we need to figure out and be very, um, I'll give you an example. I have a friend of mine who is a really close friend of mine, um, but we've been friends for, I don't know, about four or five years now. And about a couple of years ago, I shared something with him that I wasn't very proud of, but I was like, you know, I assumed he was, could hold it down for me. And he was really judgmental. And I was like, wow, I did not expect this from you. But because I valued our friendship, I said, Hey, um, you know, I feel like you're really being judgmental and I, I don't have people like that in my life, just so you know, and I really value our friendship. Can you explain to me like what exactly is going on? And so I, you know, we had the conversation. I wasn't saying I was right. I was just saying like, why was that? And I don't feel safe coming to you as a result of that. And he was really apologetic and he was like, you're right. You know, and like, yes, you've held it down for me and you never judge me. And I was like, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think it's okay to have conversations with people in your life. If that's your truth, it doesn't mean that they're going to see it the same way as you. But I think clear, honest communication, at least communicating your experience and then letting the chips fall in terms of what it means. So when I said that to my friend, I was very aware that we might not have a friendship anymore. <laughs> like I knew that was a possibility. And luckily, like he got it and we you know, were able to like talk our, our way through that. But I think it's important that you have people in your life who you can go to and not feel judged. And also feel safe with and know that you can be your most base level victim self with them. And they're going to know they're going to see the best in you. And so that's, that's rare, but it's also how you show up. Do you judge people when they come to you? Like, what's your response? And so I'm very aware of holding it down and not judging and creating a safe space for my friends. And when I do that, I start to attract more of that as well. Agreed. That's awesome. So I have another question for you. It'll be our last one to keep us on track for your timeline. And as it is, if you could give one piece of advice to someone on how to live their life to the fullest in the most true to themselves kind of way, what would that piece of advice be? So good. Um, number one, I would say most important, at least dial over for me, has been ownership. So what I mean by that is I see a lot of people making decisions and then worrying about how the decision is being received or worrying about how people are going to see them as a result of that the best thing that you can do is own your choices. If you're going to choose something to do something, then like be unapologetic and own it. And to me, when you own it, it dissipates any potential like shame or judgment because what's someone going to say when you come in and like, I always try and say the thing about me first before anyone else can say it. So I'll recognize the fact that I'm, you know, what I'm doing this, I'm that or whatever. And so when I say it first, again, it dissipates the, the shame of, what could potentially happen. And so I think people, there's a saying that uh, like basically authority dissipates fear. So when I come with the confidence and conviction in my own decisions, even if I'm not 100% clear that I made the right decision, but I just, again, kind of fake it. I like make that little gap and I make that jump and I own it. There's really very little wiggle room for people to say anything about it because I'm owning it. Right. So if I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I binge eat then like it kind of dissipates the someone else being like, well, you binge. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm bad because I did that. And it's like, no, I just, you're very matter of fact about it. So I would say if you can own your choices, once you make a decision, own it. And you give other people permission to do the same when you show up like that. Um, so I would say that's probably the biggest game changer for me. 
I love it. So if people want to learn more about you, where do they go? Um, jillfit.com is my website. Um, if you're interested in kind of getting any like newsletters and kind of wanting to be in the know on what programs and products are coming out, make sure you just uh, sign up for my email list uh, anywhere on the site. And I probably hang out the most on social media on Instagram at jillfit. Um, also Jill Coleman on Facebook and also Twitter at jillfit. So jillfit and all the handles. Um, happy to chat with people in a DM or if you guys, you know, have a question about anything, happy to give you guys any more resources that you need, etc. But thanks so much, Chris. This is great. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me on a very busy day. And uh, we'll, uh, I'll have this up within the day. So I look forward to awesome. releasing it to my audience. Very cool. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you bet. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. It really means a lot. Uh, it's because of the support that you give me that helps me stay up on the charts. Uh, what really helps is if you're able to go to iTunes and give a rating, it gives me a little bump on the charts. When I ask somebody if they have time to be on my podcast, like you can't even imagine how many people probably ask Jill Coleman to be on their podcast. So it's a big win for me personally to have people of that caliber give me their time when like their their hourly for their time is very high. They they only have so many hours in their life. Like it, it comes at a premium. So it's your support that allows me to bring guests like that on to the podcast and I can't thank you enough. Every share on social media goes a long way because it vets it vets me to your people. It helps them to know that I'm not full of shit and that I actually care about the conversation and I, I care about just my, my audience. Like I, I want to create something that helps you. So thank you for the support and I'll catch you on the next one.